Yeah, so welcome everyone. As you know, we've been waiting for uh, John and his wife and his kids to come from Ireland. I know it's confusing. They're actually, John's Scottish, but he comes from Ireland. So people are talking about the family from Ireland, but technically they're from a family from Scotland. <laughs> but when you church plant and God brings you to a new location, you kind of just call that city and that, that nation home. And so, uh, yeah, so they're technically church planting in Ireland. And they started a year ahead of us. They started about 11 years ago, and we started 10 years ago. And so we're relatively at the same stage of life in sort of uh, church planting. But John has far more experience in terms of uh, ministry than we do, or at least I do, I should say. And uh, of course, we invited him here because of his gifts of evangelism and going on the streets throughout the world, places like France and Kenya and uh, different places uh, throughout Britain. And so we've invited him here to mentor us and to teach us about how to be more effective in that ministry. And so we had a great time last night uh, learning from him and praying for one another. And so we're going to do the same again today. So welcome, John. Please uh, come on up. Good. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. Um, thank you for being so welcoming, so kind, gracious. Uh, loads of things I could say. Uh, so last night we had um, the opportunity to be with some of the guys who are involved in the, the prayer ministry team that, that go out on the street. And some of what we looked at last night was how Jesus healed. And so we looked at some interesting examples, you know, how he spat in the dirt and he made like little mud pies and he rubbed it in people's eyes and stuff. We're not going to do that this morning. Please you know, know that, feel comfortable that we won't do that. And um, we're not going to get it. But so we looked at last night for a while how Jesus healed and so we looked at how you know, sometimes he used touch, sometimes he just spoke. There was times people came, like the lady came, grabbed the, the hem of his garment and he felt power coming out of her and we looked at that. So that was how he healed. But what I wanted to do with everyone this morning was look at five different reasons why God heals. So, because, you know, we don't build a theology on how God heals. So we don't have people come to our church and get them to come and sit in the front row and then I kind of like, and spit in your face because I don't think many people would come if we started doing stuff like that. Um, similarly, we, we don't have the elders, they'll be glad to know that. Stand at the door making those little mud pies in preparation for people and then we rub them on them. We, we don't do that. So we don't build a theology out of how Jesus healed. Where we build our theology is on why Jesus healed. Why did he heal? Why did Jesus heal when he was here? And why does he heal now? Okay? And so we believe wholeheartedly that God heals. Does anyone else here believe that God heals today? Put your hand right up if you believe that God heals. So most people in the room believe that God heals today. So how many in the room, so you did the show of hands there, how many people in the room have actually seen God healing? Quite a few, which is great. 
Okay? So we believe it and we have some experience of it, but if we're really honest, we want to have more experience of it, don't we? Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be here. So what I'm going to share this morning isn't an exhaustive list. There'll be other things that we can add into this, but I bring some before us to remind us that why God heals is always more important than how he heals. That will always be the case. That will never, ever change. We never, ever get caught up in the how. What we usually do in, in our limited experience, like it's kind of like we're on a journey, on a road, and we might just be slightly further ahead of that on that road than you guys are. So please hear this. We're no experts at this. Okay, we really aren't. We just have maybe that slightly more experience than what you have. So I hope that this morning that you have your Bibles, you have maybe a notebook and a pen. And if you have any questions, please write them down. I know that you give the opportunity to ask questions. I'm happy to do that. We did that for quite a while last night, which was fun. Uh, I enjoy that kind of thing. And so everything we're going to look at this morning primarily is evidence from Scripture. And then what I'll do in this time is I'll share some anecdotes, some stories from our limited experience, and hopefully that will enhance what it is that I'm trying to communicate this morning. But the first thing I need to say is this. Everything we do, and everything that you will do as we move forward from this time is birth a relationship with Jesus. Okay? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not communing with a father on a regular basis, if you're not going to the source of the power that we're expecting to see, and you don't see anything, please don't be surprised. Because it's about him. I don't have anything, I've got a set of keys in my pocket, for that side, I don't have anything else. I have nothing. It's not about me, it's about him. And you know, we have a really, really good example in that where Jesus said, we were talking about this last night when he was at the pool, and he says, I can do only what I see the Father doing. And so imagine you're one of the sick people who sat around that pool, and Jesus turns up. Everybody's heard of this guy this wandering itinerant minister, but whenever he goes somewhere, people are bringing him, tons and tons of people. You know, like through the Gospels, there's these wee throwaway comments, and it just says a throwaway comment, random thing like, and they brought people from the whole region, and he healed all of them. And you're like, that would have been a lot of people. And so all these people are sat around the pool. The guy, the story is about, says that he's waiting for the angel to come and stir the water, but he can never get in the water quick enough. Someone always gets in in front of him. And then so Jesus ministers to all the others. There's obviously, as we read that story, more than one person at the side of the pool. Would we agree? And so those people are all probably sitting rubbing their hands together. Oh, yes, this is the guy. He's the guy, wherever he goes, People seem to just be getting healed. Yes, we knocked it off today. We're getting healed. 
That would probably have been the way people were thinking. And then Jesus leaves, having healed one person. One guy gets healed because Jesus says that he can do only what he sees the Father doing. And that's what the Father was doing. And so we need to be in tune with what the Lord is doing. But I need to admit this, that I'm far less in tune with the Father than what Jesus was. I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that, but I'm, I'm just not. I love him. I know he loves me. And I spend time with him. I ask him questions. I usually tell him a whole lot more, but then he asks me questions. But I don't know if you know this, but whenever the Lord asks a question of you, he's not looking for information. Because he already knows, doesn't he? And so we have that relationship. But my relationship with him is not the same as what Jesus' relationship with the Father was. But I go with what I have. And so, the first two things that I want to say, and the first two reasons if you're taking notes, is God heals out of compassion and mercy. Okay? And there's quite a few examples of this. Matthew 14 Verses 13 and 14 says this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him in foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Okay? He had compassion on them. So that's one of the reasons why he healed the people out of compassion. Um, Mark 1, 41 and 42, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Depending on what translation you use, there are examples where you see that Jesus felt sorry for someone, touched their eyes, instantly they could see, then they followed him. Um, I'm going to make these notes available to Andrew, and for anybody who wants them, you can have them, and it has all the biblical references on it. So Jesus had compassion. He felt sorry for them, and he had mercy. So Matthew 9, 27 to 31 says, After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying and Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this, but instead they went out and spread his fame over the region. That's what you do, isn't it? You have an encounter with the Son of God. You are blind. He heals you. And then he tells you not to tell anybody. And I'm just like, eh, no way. I can see. I'm going to tell everybody that I meet. I'm going to be excited about telling everybody that I meet. And I'm going to tell them what you did. But not just me. My mate here beside me, because you did it for him as well, and he's going to tell everyone. Imagine trying to keep a little bit. Anyone who knows you 
all of a sudden you're walking around in these days, you would probably have a white stick or you'd have a, a guide dog, and then you all of a sudden you don't need those. You're going to tell people why you don't need those anymore, aren't you? And that's what happened with these guys. Jesus said to them sternly, don't tell anybody about this. And in the grand scheme of things, I guess they were a wee bit disobedient, but they were excited. They had been blind, and now they can see. That changes things. And so Jesus healed out of compassion and out of mercy. Matthew 15, verses 22 to 28. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urgently sent her away. Tell her to go away, he said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. She came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, is, is it, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. Even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Then Jesus says, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Have mercy on me, O Lord. This is a woman who's a Syrophoenician woman. She's a woman, which means engaging with her in the first place is a bit of a no-no. Because in Jewish law, you didn't do that. And then... She's a Syrophoenician woman, so she comes from outside the, the Jewish world. And so she's a Gentile, and Jesus engages with her. But then if you notice through that, he uses the term about throwing stuff to the dogs. He essentially gives her what is a well-known insult, but he probably does it slightly tongue-in-cheek. And then the woman gives the best answer when she turns around and says, but if, you know, anything that's on the table and if it falls off onto the floor and if you have a dog, you know this is true, and they come running around and they eat it anyway. And she says, I'll even take the scraps off the table. And Jesus is just like, wow, who is this woman? Have mercy on me, O Lord. And it wasn't even for her. It was for her daughter. And then she was healed instantly. And so again, compassion and mercy and they're two of the reasons why Jesus heals the sick and they are two of the reasons why he does that now okay anybody here ever been at the receiving end of compassion someone's shown you compassion they've been really nice to you anybody how did it make you feel makes you feel loved, makes you feel accepted, makes you feel wanted, it kind of makes you kind of feel, I don't know if you should terms like this, but it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? Do you use stuff like that? And so it makes you feel like that, it makes you feel good. Then you go away and you ball your eyes, you go, oh, they were so nice to me, that was lovely, oh my God. But that's what compassion is. That's mercy is receiving 
the justice that we don't deserve. Not one person deserved to be healed, but Jesus was merciful and healed them anyway. And that is what he does today. Okay, so God also healed to glorify himself and the Son. Okay, and we see several examples of that in scripture, but oftentimes the purpose of healing is to bring glory to God. I personally believe that every time someone is healed, it should bring glory to God. It's not about us. The, the praise should never ever be directed towards us. It should never ever be a horizontal thing. It should always be a vertical thing. It should always be directed to him, no matter what happens, how it happens, whatever. But the main purpose is for him to be glorified. And so, if we know the story of Lazarus, it's one of the primary reasons and purposes why Lazarus was raised from the dead. In John 11 verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, the death of Lazarus, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from that. Then in 11 verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So Jesus was glorified, the Father was glorified because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so when people are healed, it sometimes, every time I believe it should be, but sometimes specifically, is to glorify the Father, and sometimes it's to glorify the Son. Someone, when we were coming here, um, Andrew and I have been talking about this for quite some time, and somebody who has mentored me in this quite a bit, just through the, the books that I've read, I've met the guy as well, and he said this, his name is Jack here, he said, this miracle also demonstrated that Jesus is the resurrection and life. But the stated purpose is that God might be glorified. Actually, these two purposes are not in contradiction. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he demonstrated that he was the resurrection and the life, and this demonstration brought great glory to God and to the Son as well. So every one of those stories that I've shared at that point up to now have involved Jesus. But Jesus then commissioned the twelve to go and do the same thing. But then he also commissioned, depending on what translation you use, the 70 or the 72 to go and do the same. And what happens after he sends the 72 out? They come back. In what way do they come? Does it not tell us that they come back rejoicing and praising God and saying, even the demons submit to us in your name? So he commissioned them to go. So Jesus is Jesus, right? We know that. But the 12 are just normal guys. The 72 are normal people, just like us. And Jesus sends them to go and do the stuff. They go and do the stuff. They start to see things happening. And they come back and they're jubilant. They're celebrating. They're like, yes, even the demons submit to you in your name. So they're happy. 
And so, God gives that opportunity for other people to move in power as well. And so in Acts chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. So imagine you're going into the city and there's a beggar sat at the gate into the city and he's asking for money. And then you look in your pockets and if you're anything like me, I never ever have cash, ever. Okay? And then they turn around and they look at him and they go, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I get you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up. And walk. So can you imagine being there? It's incredible. Okay? I don't know about you, but I would be in awe. Do you understand what I mean if I say you're probably better at grammar at grammar and spelling we are? But do you know what an onomatopoeic word is? So do you know like if you use that term ratatata, do you know what? When you're, you know, playing when you're a wee boy and you were playing soldiers and you're running, and you're do 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 do, and it's kind of it's onomatopoeic, like splash is an onomatopoeic word, right? I think the word all is an onomatopoeic word, and let me explain what I mean by that. Because when you're in awe of someone, if you're anything like me, you just stand and you go, oh, <laughs> does that make sense? And so can you imagine the awe that these people experience? Peter walks in and he sees this guy and he just says, oh, I don't have any change. I'm really sorry. Do you know what, what I have? I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Everybody who's there knows this guy because he sits at that gate all the time and begs regularly. And that's how he gets an income because he's a burden on his family, and then all of a sudden, this guy can walk. So everybody who's a runner but there knows this guy, and they would just be like, oh, it's amazing. And that's why it tells us that people responded that way. They responded in awe. And the response as to how people are is Acts 4, 21, 22. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. So people had seen what had happened. The hubbub in the community must have been like, no. So you imagine Okotoks, where the clock is, there's somebody there who's regularly there and they beg because they're lame and everybody in the community knows who Lee George is because he sits there. I've made this up, okay. And so then everybody starts going into the town and all of a sudden they notice that Wee George isn't there anymore and they're like, whatever happened to Wee George? And then you're chatting to your friend in the coffee shop and like, did you know hear about Wee George? And you're like, what do you mean? Oh no, has he gone? Has he passed? And you're like, no, he got healed. And you're like, he what? Yeah, he's no lame anymore. He doesn't need to beg anymore because he can walk. 
And you're like, what? And then all of a sudden the local paper gets wind of this and there's a story in it and there's a photograph of wee George standing like this in the paper and he's standing and he's no leave anymore. That's the kind of thing that happened in this story and then they are threatening them further because like you're just causing a hubbub in the community but if we do anything it's going to cause a riot because the whole community was praising God and that's what's meant to happen when somebody is healed from an infirmity that they've had and they don't have it anymore. So praising God in response to the miracles of Jesus is a normal response and that's how it should be, okay? Sorry, sometimes I just get excited because it's meant to be exciting, isn't it? Because I don't, I don't have anything to make this happen. So when we see something happening, like, so I was telling this story last night and um, we had a friend of ours came, uh, a friend of ours from Glasgow, and he came over where we were having church in, in Enniskillen. And so he was doing this wee conference for us, a mini conference on prophecy. But he's our friend Scott, and whenever he comes, you just need to let him get on with it and do what he does. And so we were telling the guys last night that this guy, Jonathan, so this is one of those stories, okay, that is absolutely astonishing, and we confirmed this. The week just before we came here just to make sure that we're not making this up and we spoke to his minister who's a friend of ours so this guy jonathan comes forward for prayer and so scotty says yeah would you want prayer and he initially wanted prayer for something else but then he said you know he said i can't see it in my left eye and so scotty was like okay well let's pray that you can see it in your left eye and then Jonathan adds in, say, well, I think it's important that I tell you something else. I don't actually have a left eye. This eye is an artificial eye. And so Scotty's like, oh, okay. Uh, never done that before, but okay, it's not about me. This is about the Lord. And pray for him. Now, this will sound unbelievable, okay? But we have this verified, and we have it written down. His pastor has this written down. That night, Jonathan left that building able to see out of his left eye. I don't know how that works, okay? I don't want to look into it too much, you know? But somebody said to us, did you take him to the optician? Did you get them to check? And I'm like, of course I didn't. You know, I'm going on the basis that he's told us he has an artificial eye. We know he has an artificial eye. But on the night, he covered his right eye, and then he was able to tell us what he could see, and people were giving him stuff, he was able to read it. His pastor, his minister, and their family were at that mini-conference, and so they verified it. And so this is now three, approaching three years later. So I spoke to Andrew, his minister, the other night, and I says, Andrew, can you verify that Jonathan's still able to see you at that eye? He says, John, I was with him last night, because he heads up their kids' ministry, and he can still see out of it. But here's the amazing thing that happened. Jonathan's mum went to the church, just as a traditional thing, because her family had always gone to that church, but she would not have said that she was a practicing Christian. She probably believed in God, but she didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know what happened? That changed. The next day, she surrendered her life to Jesus, on the basis that her son is able to see out of an eye that isn't even real. 
And so the the excitement that that caused in the community, the excitement that that caused in their traditional Church of Ireland congregation was astonishing. And it was astonishment. And people have known Jonathan since he was a wee boy. And so they're like, what? Jonathan? We Jonathan? And they're like, yeah, Jonathan. And like, he does the kids. Yeah. What do you mean he can see? But he's got an artificial, he can see out of it. And just everybody was talking about this. Okay. But who got the glory for that? The Lord. It's nothing to do with us. It was nothing to do with our friend Scotty. He would tell you, so he's like, I'm just a postman. I just deliver what the Lord brings. And that's what we need to be. And that's what we saw. And so that is the position that we need to put ourselves in. So we're talking about how God glorifies himself and his son. Luke chapter 5, verses 20 to 26 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to himself, Who does he think he is? That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on the earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen an amazing thing today. God was praised, he was glorified, he was honoured, and everyone was amazed, astonished, and were in awe of what had just happened. Jesus expected that when people experience healing, he expected them to glorify God. And he makes the comment about the story of the ten lepers. After healing the ten lepers, only one of them returns to give him thanks. And he says, where are the other nine? Do they not have thanks to bring to the Lord? Do you know they, they didn't come? It's an expected response. So you've had a condition for however long. The Lord heals it. He then expects you to say, thank you, Lord. So you go to your doctor and you've got a problem. He gives you medication. You take the medication. You get better. You think he's a great doctor or she's a great doctor. And if you're kind of Canadian, because you are really nice, you're probably going to go to your doctor and say, hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me that medication. That made a difference. I don't have that condition anymore. And the doctor's like, brilliant. Thanks for letting me know. And so why not then, if the Lord heals someone, did they know then go and say, praise your name, O God. 
thank you. And take the opportunity to thank him for what he's just done. And that is the expected response that we are meant to bring. God also healed in response to faith. But before we go on to this, I need to say this. If you, if you want to be used by the Lord in a significant way when you pray for the sick, develop the desire to see Jesus glorified. So, I don't know if this operates within the community. I'm fairly confident that it does. But there are people in this community that probably read tea leaves. There'll be people in this community that read tarot cards. There are people here who say they're psychics and they probably say, you know, I can tell you what your life's going to be like. And so when somebody goes to someone like that and they get it right, you go to your friends and you're saying, no way, I went to Marvel the psychic and she told me, and all this came to pass, if you ever need anything, Go and see Marco, because that's what we do, isn't it? And then Marco gets the glory, and people think Marco's a great psychic. But if you want the Lord to use you in power and see sick people being healed, then develop a desire to be faceless and for it to be about Him that gets glorified. No, you, you're the postman or postwoman. You know, that's your job. You just deliver what it is that the Lord has given you to deliver and then let him get the glory for it. And I need you to cultivate that. So then when we do that, when we only want his glory, it's the most effective way to keep ourselves from being deceived and led in the error. So we, we come from a, a denomination called the Vineyard. Some of you have heard of that, some of you might not have. But there was a really, really prominent vineyard church in the past, and it was in Toronto. And they started to experience this thing called they called the Toronto Blessing. And so a lot of great things happened in that, but there was a lot of abuses in it as well. And so what starts to happen is when people, I don't mean this in any way against the people who read that church, please hear that, but inevitably, People get excited. People get caught up in the emotion and the sensationalism that oftentimes accompanies stuff like that. And so what they started to do is they started seeking the manifestation that started to happen. So the Spirit of God would come on people and interesting things would happen. And so people then, rather than seeking Him, they started seeking the manifestation. And that's wrong. That's an error and we want to protect ourselves from that as much as possible and so therefore if you cultivate a relationship with the Lord you cultivate this desire to see him being glorified when anybody gets healed then you've protected yourself you've protected that person because then they know the response that they should bring in response to the healing so it safeguards you it safeguards the church and it safeguards that person as well. Is that understandable? But God also heals in response to faith. And so the, the woman um, who had the hemorrhage for 12 years, 
sneaks up behind Jesus. I used to sneak up because he didn't know that she was coming. There was a big crowd. She barged her way through, quite right, good on her. Do you know, sometimes you need to be a wee bit, do you know, like that. You, know, you need to push forward and be persistent. Don't give up. And it's like, no, God, I believe you can do this. She pushes through and she touches the edge of his cloak. I think she's amazing. I love that story. And then was instantly healed of her hemorrhage. You imagine you touch a garment, you touch a piece of material, and the hemorrhaging that you've had for 12 years all of a sudden is gone. It stops. Put yourself in the situation. If you've read the Old Testament, and if you look at when it's time of the month for a woman, she's unclean, okay? So the man isn't allowed to touch her and stuff like that because it makes him unclean. So this woman has essentially been unclean for 12 years. She's going to, unfortunately, have a bit of a negative reputation. For, yeah, don't go near her, she's the unclean woman. If there's a woman over there, no point me, sorry. No, do you know, and it's that, don't go near her, she's the unclean woman. If you go near her, you, do you, know, you need to go into isolation for a week and the whole thing. And so this is the woman with that kind of reputation. She comes up in among a whole crowd of people, within the danger of making everybody who's there unclean, grabs the hem of Jesus' cloak, and it's gone instantly. And Jesus, having felt power, leave his body, turned to find the woman. When he found her, he said to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. She was willing to put all that aside. Oh, there's the unclean woman. At this point, she'd lived with this for 12 years. She didn't care what anybody thought. She just wanted to get better. And she barged through that crowd. Have you ever been at a, a pop or a rock concert or a you know, a football match, a ice hockey match, you know when some, and this woman just barges through and you always get that person, you're like, you know, by the, and this woman just does it, she doesn't care what anybody thinks, she grabs and she heals, and Jesus turns around, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. The one, the Syrophoenician woman that we talked about earlier, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. Sometimes faith can have an impact, but it doesn't always have to have an impact. So if you're praying for somebody and somebody's not healed, are they going to turn around and say, you prayed for me, I didn't get healed, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. Or are you going to turn around, what do you mean it's my fault? You never had enough faith when you came to get prayer, it's your fault. We don't do that. We don't apportion blame. Jesus says that he does only what he sees the Father do. If God is healing at that point, he's healing, and if he's not, he's not. We, we kind of, I meant this slightly tongue-in-cheek last night, but it's true. How much faith did Lazarus have that he was going to be raised from the dead? He was dead. He didn't have any. What about when they threw the body in the cave? We used this analogy last night. Elisha's bones are in the cave. The body lands on the bones. <laughs> To come back to life. How much faith did Elisha have? He'd been dead for years. He was just a pile of bones. 
He didn't have any faith. It was the power of God was being released because God saw that it was fit to do that at that time because that's what he wanted to do. And so we don't say to people, you never got healed because you've got a lack of faith, man. Please don't come back. But that's mean. And it's just no true. And then you don't get, they don't turn to you prayed for me, you don't have enough faith, I'm never coming back to get prayer for you, I'm going to go and see Andrew. They can go and see Andrew if they want, but if the Lord's no healing, you're not getting healed, and if the Lord's healing, no matter who prays for you, you get healed. And so we need to be aware that something, that's just the way it is. But there are some occasions where it tells you that Jesus saw their faith. So that woman barks through her crowd. What about the people who lower the paralytic through the roof? They try to get in, they can't get in. So they're like, climb up. Imagine you're in your house and you have a group meeting. Thankfully the hisses were a wee bit different then. And then you start seeing your roof caving in. And then these people all of a sudden are lowering some guy on a stretcher through the roof. And you're like, what is going on here? And just the faith that they had to bring to Jesus, they were making up, they were persistent, they were persecuting, and they got healed. Jesus saw their faith. And then the last one that I want to share, because I could go on about this for ages, is God healed in response to his own promise. We saw a great example of this last night. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, but Stu and Roger came to pray for someone last night. And I, having had conversations with Andrew, I knew that these guys were the elders. And I love this because it just fulfilled scripture really, really significantly. In James 5, verses 14 to 16, it says, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. No sexist thing. Women can pray for people as well. But these two guys are elders, and I just said, is there anybody here who's willing to come and pray? The two of them, in terms of leading by example, stood up. See, I told you before that we were really bad at spelling and grammar. So we say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Okay, sometimes you just need to take a risk. And these two guys, they got it right away, and they were just, boom right to the front to pray. And I thought, this is brilliant. And so that, what this passage tells us, needs to happen. But it doesn't just need to be those guys. This is one piece of scripture that talks about that. But there's so many other. And so we are like 72. Or we are, so Jesus sent the 12, then he sent the 72. And then at the time of the Great Commission, he commissioned the 12 to go then he commissioned them to commission other people, which, as you go down through the generations, that's us. And we have the same delegated authority that they had, because that's what they were told 
and we were told to be obedient, and so that's what we do. And then, just in finishing off, because healing is a spiritual gift. It's something that God gives, and he gives it to whoever he likes, just as he pleases, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But scripture teaches us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, of which healing is one. Because they were built, they were valuable in building up the church. They were valuable then, and they're valuable now. And there are three times where Paul tells the believer to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. To eagerly desire something means to pursue it, to go after it, and not to stop. The woman who was healed of the hemorrhage, she was eager to touch Jesus' garment, wasn't she? Are you eager for the Lord to use you to see people being healed? Then, pursue eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. There would have been no point in Paul telling the church at Corinth to do that. You can only do that until the time that I die, because then it's going to stop and you can never ever do it again. He was telling that to the believers in Corinth, probably knowing that the believers in Corinth are going to go and tell their friends in Kentia, which is just up the road, they're going to go and tell. And whenever any of them went anywhere, hey, we had this guy Paul, he told us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We've done that. We've started to see people being healed. Why don't you do that? We just do this and we've seen amazing things. Okay? God heals in response to his own promise. He said that if you do this, people will be healed. And we see that in James chapter 5. One of the questions last night related to if there's sin, can people be sick in relation to sin? And what it tells us there as well, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. So that suggests that there can be a correlation between sickness and sin. Sickness, unforgiveness is a sin. And if we deal with those issues, we have seen examples where when people have done that, they've been healed. They've been released, and that's what that passage tells us to do. Now, I'm not suggesting that every Sunday you turn up and you pick any Tom, Dick, or Harry and you just go and tell them and say, I've been involved in this this week. Choose somebody wisely. Choose somebody who you trust. Choose somebody that you know is going to keep your confidence and share that with them. And if you want to share that with anybody else, that's up to you, but you share that with someone that you trust. But it tells us here that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for each other that we may be healed. So why don't we do that? And why don't we do some of that this morning? Because at the start, just to remind you, I asked, did you believe that God heals today? The majority of people in the room put their hand up. Then I asked another question, has anybody ever seen somebody heal? And you, the majority of you again put your hand up. And so we believe that 
We've seen that. We just want to see more, don't we? And so what we would like to do, I don't know how we're going to do this section, but if there, we would love to pray for anybody who has any kind of sickness this morning, any conditions that you don't want to have, and let's see what the Lord wants to do. We will go into a time of prayer for, for one another. Before we do so, as our custom, let's have opportunity to ask John questions. And uh, he knows that's our format here. He's prepared for you. So let's have a time of uh, dialogue first. Who wants to ask a question or clarifying statement or 